Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Thursday, January 26, 2023. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, I get all metaphysical about where the tech industry is going right now with a record slowdown in smartphone shipments, Masa San seemingly misplacing his investing shoes, Meta and BuzzFeed joining forces to stave off irrelevancy, and universities offering degrees in AI for the first time. Oh, and are you sure you want to spin up that Mastodon server? Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. Maybe it's because the five-year anniversary of this show is coming up soon, and I've been reflecting on how different covering the tech industry is all of a sudden, how much different it is even from 18 months ago. We've discussed this ad nauseum, I know, but the whole conceit of covering tech as an industry, conquering all before it, eating the world as it were, seems to be on pause indefinitely, at least broader recession or not. It's unmistakable that tech as an industry, or at least as a vibe, is in recession. Data point number whatever. What led to the decade-long tech bull market that we just recently left? Indisputably, I would say, it was the move to mobile and cloud computing. Well, worldwide smartphone shipments declined 18.3% year-over-year to just 300 million units in Q4 of last year, the largest ever drop in a single quarter. Again, largest drop ever seen. Apple dropped 14.9%, Samsung 15.6%, and Xiaomi 26.3%. Quoting IDC, We have never seen shipments in the holiday quarter come in lower than the previous quarter. However, weakened demand and high inventory caused vendors to cut back drastically on shipments, said Nabila Popal, research director with IDC's worldwide tracker team. Heavy sales and promotions during the quarter helped deplete existing inventory rather than drive shipment growth. Vendors are increasingly cautious in their shipments and planning while realigning their focus on profitability. Even Apple, which thus far was seemingly immune, suffered a setback in its supply chain with unforeseen lockdowns at its key factories in China. What this holiday quarter tells us is that rising inflation and growing macro concerns continue to stunt consumer spending even more than expected and push out any possible recovery to the very end of 2023, end quote. We continue to witness consumer demand dwindle as refresh rates climb past 40 months in most major markets, said Anthony Scarcella, research director with IDC's worldwide quarterly mobile phone tracker, quote, with 2022 declining more than 11% for the year, 2023 is set up to be a year of caution as vendors will rethink their portfolio of devices while channels will think twice before taking on excess inventory. However, on a positive note, consumers may find even more generous trade-in offers and promotions continuing well into 2023 as the market will think of new methods to drive upgrades and sell more devices, specifically high-end models, end quote. And on the investing side of the equation, what fueled especially the last five years of the mania in tech? Well, it was a bunch of deep-pocketed whales who bellied up to the roulette wheel, drunk on hubris or just sort of drunk. Shotgun spraying investment bets everywhere with abandon. So, on that front, here's one of the biggest offenders. SoftBank's new startup bets apparently hit a record low in Q4 of 2022, with just eight investments totaling $2.1 billion. Again, only eight investments. They used to do eight investments a week back in the go-go days. A source says Vision Fund investments were below $350 million last quarter. Quoting Bloomberg, the world's largest tech investor, which at one point took part in $30 billion worth of financing rounds in more than 90 startups in a single quarter, 
participated in just eight investment rounds totaling $2.1 billion in the three months ending in December, data compiled by Bloomberg shows. It was the first time the number of SoftBank's deals fell to single digits since the launch of its Vision Fund. Startup investments by SoftBank's Vision Fund unit came below $350 million in the quarter just ended, a person familiar with the matter said. In total, the segment invested more than $144 billion in five and a half years, which averages out to more than $6 billion per quarter. SoftBank is not alone. Rivals Tiger Global Management, Sequoia Capital, and Co2 Management have also tightened their spigots after shouldering big write-downs in 2022. Denied lucrative exits by a route in tech valuations, deep-pocketed investors have pulled back, hitting pause on billion-dollar funding rounds that had become common in recent years. With all these players slowing down, we'll see fewer headlines about newly anointed unicorns, but I would argue that this is a healthy recovery period after partying a bit too hard these last three years, said Coral Capital Chief Executive Officer James Rennie. Globally, venture capital investments fell by 37% to just $527 billion last year, according to market research firm Prequin. SoftBank's vision funds transformed the venture capital ecosystem, directing billions of dollars into hundreds of startups and forcing other investors to match their big bets. By flooding private markets with easy money, SoftBank and its rivals allowed companies to chase growth while avoiding the scrutiny of public listings. Early-stage investors could hope for a lucrative exit as late-stage investors fought to buy their stakes, lifting valuations throughout an opaque corner of investment. Now, even after a year of write-downs, investors are still debating how much more valuations have yet to drop. And that uncertainty is hurting startups' ability to raise new capital, forcing deep cost cuts at startups big and small. A recent survey by January Ventures of 450 early-stage startup founders in the U.S. and Europe found that 80% didn't have enough cash to get through another year, while late-stage startups have resorted to fundraising at sharply lower valuations. That could mean a flurry of startup acquisitions this year as investors under pressure to exit push entrepreneurs to sell their companies or their stakes to bigger legacy firms, a la Adobe's $20 billion deal to buy Figma, end quote. When I started this show, Facebook was an 800-pound gorilla, especially in the media industry, and BuzzFeed was considered to be the future of media full stop by seeming to understand how to harness virality and social. Now look at them. Look at them both. Sources say Meta is paying BuzzFeed to generate creator content for Facebook and Instagram and to train online creators to grow as part of a $10 million deal reached back in 2022, which seems like a headline from 2016 or 2017, really. Quoting Chris Harahar on Twitter, Seems like a weird partnership. Does BuzzFeed fit with the modern TikTok creator era that Meta needs to crack? I don't know. Just feels like two desperate legacy companies trying to force something, end quote. Quoting the journal, The partnership marks the latest iteration in a years-long relationship between the companies. BuzzFeed largely built its business on content that went viral on Facebook, and the social media giant has regularly looked to the publisher for help in tapping into trends in internet culture. Last year, Meta announced it would stop paying news publishers to feature their content in its news tab and would reallocate resources to the growing creator business. The company launched Instagram Reels in 2020 in a push to compete with TikTok. BuzzFeed, which went public in late 2021 through a merger with a special purpose acquisition company, has lost money in recent quarters, and its stock has recently traded around $1. 
BuzzFeed early last year announced cuts to its news division as it sought to make the business profitable. At the same time, the digital media company announced it would be doubling its creator network. It couldn't be learned if Meta is paying other publishers to generate creator content, as Meta has periodically shifted its focus over the years, giving priority to certain types of content in users' feeds. BuzzFeed, like many publishers, has adjusted its strategy to ensure it continues reaching a large audience. In 2016, Meta agreed to pay $50 million to a number of publishers, including BuzzFeed, to create live video content for the platform. The social media giant eventually discontinued the program as its video approach changed, end quote. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse. That laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. We're being sponsored today by a company on a product that longtime listeners know I have used for years and cannot literally cannot live or at least work without it. One Password. One Password combines industry-leading security with award-winning design to bring private, secure, and user-friendly password management to everyone. Companies lose hours every day just from employees forgetting and resetting passwords. A single data breach costs millions of dollars. One Password secures every sign-in to save you time and money, any device, any time. One Password lets you securely switch between iPhone. Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. I started using 1Password, what, a decade ago? Join me and over 100,000 businesses on board the 1Password bandwagon. Because right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride. That's two free weeks at the number one, the word password, all one word, dot com slash ride. Onepassword.com slash ride. And look, I know it's very early days, but think of all the ways that the sudden emergence of AI is making a lot of people reconsider their fundamental assumptions, not just about the tech industry, but about where technology with a capital T is even going. This is a very 2023 headline, and we're not even a month into the year, but the University of Texas at Austin has announced plans to launch a large-scale, low-cost, online Master of Science program in artificial intelligence, the first of its kind among elite computing schools. Quoting the New York Times, 
University officials said they planned to train thousands of graduate students in sought-after skills like machine learning for a tuition of about $10,000 starting in the spring of 2024. School officials said the cost was intended to make AI education more affordable. By contrast, Johns Hopkins University offers an online MS degree in artificial intelligence for more than $45,000. AI is now becoming an essential tool in fields way outside the scope of a handful of tech companies, said Adam Clivens, a computer science professor at Texas who is the director of the online AI master's program. Noting that AI experts are in high demand in industries like biotechnology and finance, Professor Cliven said the new online degree was, quote, something working professionals can participate in to learn the expertise their companies need without leaving their jobs, end quote. The funding to develop the new master's program came in part from the National Science Foundation. In 2020, the foundation awarded the University of Texas a five-year, $20 million grant to establish an AI institute in machine learning. That is a field in which computer algorithms learn to make predictions by analyzing large data sets, such as predicting which drug formulations could be best used to treat new viruses. University officials said tenure-track faculty in computer science and related fields, like computer engineering, would teach the online master's courses via recorded video lectures along with some interactive sessions. Faculty members involved in an interdisciplinary research program at the university called Good Systems, which is aimed at developing AI tools whose potential societal benefits outweigh their harms, will also participate. The online master's program will include advanced courses in fields like machine learning, AI applications in health, and natural language processing, which helps voice assistants like Siri and Alexa understand human speech. Each course will also include formal ethics training to give students a framework for understanding the societal implications of AI systems. The university plans to open applications for the new AI master's program this June with the aim of enrolling more than 2,000 students per year, said Don Fussell, the chair of the computer science department. To be accepted into the online program, he said students will not be required to have a bachelor's degree in computer science, but they will need to have expertise in a technical field like engineering or computing, end quote. And finally today, unrelated to the narrative that I've gone with for the rest of today's show, but I still find this interesting, I have to include almost all of it. You know how a lot of people have flocked to Mastodon recently as a Twitter alternative? Partially because it's federated, it's open source, no one runs it. Kinda. Because even though no one runs it, that means a bunch of people need to run instances to keep the whole thing running. Looked at in a certain way, going to Mastodon because you don't like how Twitter is being run means that you have to take over managing your own social network. Well, one such group that took a stab at this was FT Alphaville, the sort of column-come-community at the Financial Times. FT Alphaville is closing down its Mastodon server and has written a long piece on why it decided running a social media site is a bad idea, including due to reputational, legal, and security risks. Quote, A few months ago, FT Alphaville thought it might be fun to host a Mastodon server. Boy, were we wrong. It is therefore with relief and regret that we announced the shutdown of Alphaville.club, this blog's completely unofficial home on the Fediverse. Our reasons are listed in full below, but to summarize, Mastodon has proved more hassle than it's worth. For the benefit of needy billionaires and or Morgan Stanley's distressed debt and special situations team, here are a few things we learned about why taking responsibility for a social media site is a bad idea. Compliance, security, and reputational risks are substantial and ever-growing in unpredictable ways. 
Though largely hypothetical, these risks were judged serious enough to exercise management at the highest levels of our company. Those people have better things to do than clean up our mess. The legal side is all that again times a thousand. Take, for instance, the UK Investigatory Powers Act of 2016. Diligent people have spent years figuring out how its imprecise wordings apply to media organizations. Do these same conclusions hold for a sort of but not really decentralized silo of user-generated content? Don't know. The only place to find out for sure would be in court, and we'd really rather not. Do Mastodon server owners wear any responsibility for their users' defamations? It's unlikely, but because libel involves judges, not impossible. Again, the value in finding out is outweighed by the cost of finding out. Mastodon administrators have access to everyone's direct messages by default. FTAV has no interest in sliding uninvited into anyone's DMs, and the best way to prove it is to remove all opportunity. Everything above is written from a UK perspective, but lawyers are literally everywhere. There's probably one behind you right now. What about GDPR, Digital Millennium Copyright Act takedowns, electronic commerce regulations, can spam? FTAV treats user data with a combination of disinterest and uninterest, but that's not enough to guarantee compliance with all relevant global laws and regulations. For obvious reasons, we can't use big tech's trick of concentrating lobbying efforts by putting all of our servers in Luxembourg or Ireland. Responsible ownership of a social media network necessitates daily backups, layer caching, downtime monitoring, load balancing, and a bunch of techie stuff that probably wouldn't trouble a person who doesn't own a social media network. None of the things just referenced are fun. Cloud services work on the Hotel California principle. It's easy to get started, but as soon as you're in, you're stuck. After just a month, our barely visible Fediverse presence was taking up 160 gigabytes, and each mandatory server upgrade had an exponential effect on the cost, measured either by cash or carbon. Nuking really does seem to be the only way out. Using third-party software builds and cloud services means trusting their terms and conditions, which demands actually reading them. An interest installment on our syndicated debt is due as soon as the end of January, and we can't sack staff or win back advertisers having neither. As we said back in November, Alphaville.club was an unofficial thing that would live or die on its own merits. Turns out it's die. But as failed experiments go, this one hasn't cost anyone $44 billion. That's something, relatively, end quote. Once again, final two links in the show notes today are for this Saturday. This Saturday at 7 p.m., we're doing a listener meetup at Blackbird on Market Street in San Francisco. Hit up the link to the Luma to RSVP. There's a chance, a chance that some of the folks from T2 will be there on Saturday night. That meetup is totally free to come to. We're also not going to be running a tab or anything, so drinks are on you. But still come and commiserate and have fun. Then 9.30, around the corner, will be the comedy show. Again, I'll be on stage with comedians Moshe Kasher, Janine Garofalo, Baron Vaughn. Come see me get as close to being a professional comedian as I'll ever get. Talking about the history of the internet. Tickets are on sale at the link in the show notes or at the door that night. Talk to you tomorrow.